we started a series called This Is We. And so this week, we're going to continue on with that story we've been navigating through for the month of August, kind of four guiding values that we have as a church. And so um, first thing we're going to do is we're going to read last week's all together. It's going to be right up here on the screen. We're going to read last week's all together. Now, now here's the thing, okay? Um, uh, first of all, if you're in the room or if you're not, read it with a little, is the TV not on? Oh, there it is. Okay, good. You, you, here's the deal. When we read this, you can't read it like this. We are faith-filled, big-thinking, bet-the-farm risk-takers. Okay? The, you, this is one of those statements you got to read with some gusto. Okay? You got to read with some excitement. And here's the deal. Okay? You may be at home. You may be in your living room. You may be in a car. You may be like uh, on your back porch or something watching. And you may think in this moment, nobody's going to know if I don't talk. If I don't say the statement, nobody's going to know, okay? But here's what I want you to know. Jesus says that all things in the darkness will come to the light, that one day there'll be a judgment day. We're all going to sit around heaven, and we're going to watch your life play out, and there's going to be a day where we're going to watch this moment, and you're going to sit there like this on Candy Crush playing on your game, okay? So we all know, okay? So here we go. Don't mess this up, okay? We're all going to read this together. You ready? Here we go. We are faith-filled big thinking, bet the farm, risk takers. We will never insult God with small thinking and safe living. Amen. Man, just, just for a moment, think with me, like what would it look like if every single one of us lived this out every day in every part of our life? I mean, it'd be amazing. <laughs> but that's last week's. So if you missed last week, you can go back, you can find it on Facebook or on our website. You can, that's last week. This week, this week, we are moving forward. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to John 6. If you've got it on your uh, phone, on a different device or something, you can go to John 6 is the story we're going to be looking at today of Jesus. If you don't, don't worry about it. All the relevant stuff is going to be right up here on the screen. This story is a story that we traditionally call the woman at the well right? And it's this beautiful, awesome story. I love the story of the woman at the well. We don't have time to dig into all of it, um, but, but, but here's, here's two things that I want you to know just as we get into the story and then we move on to actually the post of the woman at the well story is what we're going to look like, we're going to look at after the fact. It, it's two things. It's, um, first thing is to know this, is Jesus knows your heartache. The woman he meets at the well is a woman who's broken and fearful and rejected and hurting and aching, and Jesus knows. But here's the second thing. Here's the best news about it. There is nothing so messy that God can't make beautiful again. This is like an incredibly awesome story because this woman's life is a train wreck, and yet it's recorded in the Gospels. Because God does something powerful and beautiful in restoring what was an absolute mess. So Jesus comes to the city, right? You know the story. Jesus comes into the city and he's got his disciples and things have been crazy and they've been busy. And so he sends his disciples into town to go get some lunch at Taco Bell. And he's going to sit outside at the well, right? It's kind of like a, a, a bus stop outside of town. He's going to sit out at the well. And it says this in the text. It, it says that Jesus was weary, that Jesus was tired. It just, this, this isn't what the sermon's about, but this is just for free today. You know it's okay to be tired. 
Some, sometimes the most honest, God-glorifying thing you can do is just sit down by the well and just go, God, I'm exhausted. Now, and it doesn't say it in the text, and I couldn't convince you of it otherwise because it's not in there, but I think from the things I've seen throughout the Gospels that Jesus wasn't just physically tired. He'd spent days and days, what turned into years, pouring himself out to people, and I think he was weary tired in a deep way. And so this morning, today, if you're tired, just know like it's okay to sit by the well, sit by the throne of God and say, God, I'm exhausted. So Jesus does. He sits down by the well. The woman comes. The disciples go. The woman's come. He has this chat that changes her life. Some other time we'll get into that story. Um, The disciples return as they're talking And then she goes back into town to go tell everyone because her world has been so changed by what Jesus has done. The the disciples start chatting and they have this conversation. You know, someone needs to tell Jesus he needs to eat. Someone needs to tell Jesus he needs to eat. And you you know how the disciples work, right? Someone needs to tell Jesus. And so they probably all turn to Peter. And they're like, Peter, you you don't have a problem making an idiot of yourself. You go talk to him, right? And it's not there, but I imagine Peter went, (laughs) guys, remember what happened last time? Last time I tried correcting Jesus, he called me the devil. Like, I'm going to pass this time, right? But it says that they tried to urge him to, to eat, and Jesus says this in John 6, verse 32. You got it? It says this. But he, being Jesus, said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Look. I have food to eat. There's a lot of times throughout Scripture um, that it's easy to see the disciples as just being absolute idiots, right? You, you see the disciples, Jesus does something, the disciples respond, and we go, oh, the disciples are idiots. You know why the disciples look like idiots all the time? Because Jesus says stuff like this. What does this mean, right? Can you see the confusion of the disciples? It, it says that they came and they're like, did somebody bring him food? Did, did, did the woman at the well leave him food? Did, did he like trap a squirrel out in the wilderness while we were gone? Like what in the world? What is Jesus talking about? And Jesus responds in verse 34. He tells them this food they don't know anything about. He says this in verse 34. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I have food you know nothing about. What feeds my soul, what restores and refreshes me, what gives nourishment and life to me is to do the will of him who sent me. It's to do the will. Here's our second guiding value we're going to talk about this week. It's this phrase. We are spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers. We are spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers. The church does not exist for us. We are the church and we exist for the world. Last weekend, we started this whole series with having this conversation around this thinly veiled reality that every single one of us is selfish. That so much of the brokenness and pain that we experience in the world is rooted in the fact that we see the world through this lens of me first, right? I mean, I mean, think about it. If you've had kids, if you've been around kids, right, how many hours, how long did it take for you to try and convince your child to say, like, dada or mama, right? You sit there, right, and you're like, you're like, okay, 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 right here, right here, right here, watch, 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 watch my mouth. Okay, here, da, da. Come on, buddy, right here. You can do better. I feel like you're failing me right here. Come on, don't be a disappointment life. Da, da. 
right? Your opportunity at Harvard is slipping away, buddy, right here. Da, da. And yet, what's every toddler's favorite word? Mine! Did you sit there with your kids in your living room going, come on, buddy, right here. Ma, mine, mine, right here. You got to get the smile, mine, right? It makes me wonder what we, how often we actually use that word. Like, I don't feel like I use that word that often. Where do they learn that? Do you walk around your house going, going, that TV, mine. That Instapot, mine. That tea kettle, mine, right? And yet toddlers, like, they just walk around like they own the world. That's mine, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine. It's the thing you don't have to teach kids because we're broken and selfish deep inside of our souls, and we yearn to see the world through the lens of me. But Jesus is constantly inviting us to see the world differently. We think, we like to imagine that as we mature, we kind of mature out of our selfishness, but do we really? Or is so much of our life really built around trying to accumulate for ourselves? A major shift happened in the American culture, and really that set a precedent for all of the world in the second half of the 20th century, post-World War II. It came, to be a, it came to a pinnacle, you ready for this? It came to a pinnacle in the War of the Jingles of the 1970s. Do you remember that great war? Many men lost. No? The War of the Jingles. McDonald's came out with a jingle. You remember it? There you go. For those of you online who couldn't hear it, we just recited it in the room, okay? To all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. 1974, Burger King wasn't going to be outdone, okay? They weren't going to be outdone. So Burger King came out with a jungle that was paired with a slogan that changed the American culture. Really didn't change. It just became a, a, a flashpoint. Said this, hold the pickles. Hold the lettuce, special orders. Don't upset us. us. You remember that? Some of you are like, I was old back then, okay? Um, Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, special orders don't upset us. And the slogan that came along with it, the defined Burger King for over 40 years was this slogan, have it your way. Have it your way. It became the unofficial slogan of the American culture, have it your way. It built something that the world had never seen before, a society of consumers. Second half of the 20th century, the church was no less a victim of this cancer in us of have it your way. It developed two um, phrases as a byproduct, okay? And so I want to look real quickly at these phrases because uh, they're the exact counter to the values that that we're saying today, that we are spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers. The first one is this, and honestly, just like saying it just gives me the willies, okay? And then maybe it's the pastor in me, but it just just makes me, uh, just kind of like, I get a little sick right in here, okay? And the the phrase is this, is um, church shopping, Ah, just church shopping, right? Last week, last week we went car shopping. Man, woo, you see there's some nice cars out there. That, oh, the, ooh, that coffee in the lobby, though, was, oh, man, I don't know how long that coffee sat there. It was nasty. Last week we were church shopping, got this great deal, real, I mean, it's built for, it just, the seat just like hugs right around all of me, like holds, it's just perfect for me, right? This weekend we're going to go church shopping. 
When, when uh, I used to do college ministry, and uh, after we had one of our leaders graduate and eventually moved to Denver, I, I called her one time, and I said, hey, um, how's life going? You, you found a church yet? And, and uh, uh, this is what she said to me. She said, um, I've been shopping around. I just haven't really found a church that fits me. <laughs> like she was shopping for a summer dress. I haven't found a church that fits me. Did you know that there are almost as many churches in the Denver metro area as there are in the state of Oregon? I just haven't found one that fit me. Now, don't get me wrong. Church shopping isn't actually the issue. The phrase isn't even the issue. It's a symptom of a host of Christians who have come to believe that following Jesus is about having it their way. About having it your way. But here, we believe we are called to be spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers, that the church does not exist for us, but we are the church and we exist for the world. Here's the other phrase that developed in the last 60 or 70 years of church culture. Um, uh, It's this phrase, uh, I'm just not getting fed. Now, here's the deal. Um, The Bible does talk about being fed but not at all in this sense, right? There's, there's two times that the Bible talks about um, being fed and, and, and even the idea of like, the, I'm not getting fed at the church just doesn't really even make sense to me in that vernacular because we are the church. Like, it's, it's not a product you come to consume. We are the church and so, anyways, you know how many times the Bible says that it's the responsibility of the church to feed you? Zero. Go ducks. Zero. One of two times that it talks about this kind of language about your spiritual life, about feeding, about eating your spiritual life, is in Hebrews 5. And you have to trust me, the other passage is very much similar. Hebrews 5, it says this. Let me show you. Hebrews 5, verse 11. The writer of Hebrews is talking to this group of followers of Jesus. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. Can we just agree? This is not like an affirming, encouraging, uplifting letter at this point in time right? Have you had this conversation with your kids at some point? You're not even trying. After four hours of math homework, you're not even trying anymore, right? You don't even try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. It goes on, it says this, You need milk, not solid food. That's not an encouragement. That's a critique. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not equated with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the, that's supposed to say mature, I don't even know what mara is, but mature, don't worry, I wrote these notes in, so I'm throwing myself under the bus, who by constant use have trained themselves. If you have a Bible, if you, if you have a physical Bible and you're writing things in your Bible, underline that right there. Trained themselves. Mature believers who have trained themselves. This, um, this analogy, this imagery, uh, in some levels kind of falls flat on us because when we think about drinking milk, we think about like chocolate chip cookies and milk. Doesn't that sound good? 
like hot chocolate, where the chocolate's still kind of gooey and the middle of the cookie's still a little soft, right? Chocolate chip cookies and milk, and you take the chocolate chip cookie and you dip it in, and, it, and if you want to make me chocolate chip cookies, you send me a message, I'll give you my address, and you can, you can bring me, and I'll eat your chocolate chip cookies to the glory of God, and I'll drink milk to the glory of God, okay? But that's how we think of milk. But you see, in their culture, in their day, it was almost exclusively for infants, Almost the only way in their culture that you consume milk was either from your mother or from a wet nurse. Do you see the imagery? It should be uncomfortable. You still being infants. It makes me think, here's, here's another more modern day way of saying it. Um, uh, you go to like a city pool or, or to an aquatic center and they've got the kiddie pool, Right? It's not surprising at all to show up to a kiddie pool and see little kids in a kiddie pool, is it not? That's normal. Like, you see that and you're like, oh, kids are playing. And sometimes you'll even see a parent sitting in the kiddie pool playing with the kids. If you walk in with your children into an aquatic center and you see a 37-year-old single man with no kids splashing 18 inches of water, that's disconcerting. If not, you're kind of like, ah, kids, we're going to play over here. Right? This is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. We are spiritual contributors. We are not spiritual consumers. The church does not exist for us. We are the church and we exist for the world. One pastor said it this way, it is as true for our spirit as it is for our bodies that if we only consume, it will kill us. We will become fat and constipated, slowly dying. You remember the movie Wally? You remember this movie? This is what happens. This is, this is spiritual consumers and not spiritual conservators slowly dying in their spirit. We are spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers. The church does not exist for us. We are the church and we exist for the world. Underneath this statement are, are two truths that you see littered all throughout Scripture, okay? And so the first one, if you have a Bible, you can turn to the right to 1 Corinthians 12, or you can just stay there in John 6. Um, but if you're a note taker, you can write this down, okay? God has called you and equipped you to serve in His church. Serve in His church. If, if you're a note taker, you can underline in His church, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, it says this, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. So let's break this little statement down from Paul a little bit right here, okay? A spiritual gift is given to each of us. Look around the room, wherever you are, wherever you're sitting, look around the room. If you're alone, just look at how many people are viewing online, okay? And think for a moment that God has given each of you, each of you a spiritual gift, for some, it's, it's, it's great resources, or it's great talent, or it's great opportunity. For some, it's great hopes. And for some, it's great heartache. Dreams and passions and desires, and for some, it's great burdens. But God has given you a gift. But he has not given you the gift for you. He's given you the gift so we can help each other so we can encourage and walk with and grow with and challenge one another. If, if you want to be a spiritual contributor, but you just don't know how to, 
You don't know how this is true, that God has gifted you uniquely and on purpose, that, that it says in Scripture that he formed you in, in, in your mother's womb, that he knit you together, that he, has, that he has equipped you, that he's given you spiritual gifts, all so that you can be a, so you can contribute to one another. We love to chat with you. We'd love to, you can go right now to mymcc.info, you can fill out a connect card, and there's a spot right there that says, uh, find a place to serve, and a staff or volunteer will get together with you this week. Maybe you have dreams and ideas. Maybe you know exactly what God's called you to, but you've never been released with permission to go do that. You've never been resourced to go do that. Maybe you don't know, but you know you should be doing something. As long as you fail to use the gifting that God has given you, the church will not realize the fullness of what God's called us to. You have a gift that God wants to use to grow his church. And you, when you fail, whether by fear or apathy to use the gifts God's given you, you are robbing all of us of something God wants to do in us. You can go fill out a card. We'd love to follow up with you. But God is inviting you to come alive and be part of bringing life to others. This last winter, this last fall, we had a, a woman in our church uh, go through Rooted and um, do something you, 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 would, you would have never heard about. Went through Rooted and um, uh, throughout the process of Rooted found out that most of, if not all of the HVAC units in our office building and some of the ones in our main building on our campus um, weren't working. And um, she found out because she had Rooted and it got really hot in her room because the HVAC didn't work. And so uh, she reached out to me because she, she works for a real estate company and they, ha they have some full-time HVAC people on staff that they pay full-time salary. And she reached out to me and she said, hey, um, hey, I heard that they're not working and I, I have this idea. Um, we're a little slow right now. What if I send those guys over and um, see what kind of work they can get done. We're going to pay them either way. Either they're going to sit in the office or they're going to go to your church, go to our church and go get some stuff done. Why don't, why don't I send them over and then we'll just charge you for parts. So this last winter, what we had been quoted at costing uh, as much as $100,000, almost every unit in this building was fixed for $427. Isn't that amazing? Who would have thought working a job and having HVAC guys would be the spiritual gift that God's given this person? We are spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers. The church does not exist for us. We are the church and we exist for the world. Every single Sunday, including for the last five months while we've been in different levels of shutdown, anywhere from 13 to 20 volunteers show up some of them as early as four hours before service to serve you, to use gifts, to produce content and a time where we can engage in live, where we can engage throughout the week and we can grow in our faith and we can grow closer to one another and, and we can, we can uh, celebrate God's goodness and we can worship together. And, and you, you, know, you know how many of them uh, have professional training in live production or videography or studio recording or, or social media management? You know, you know how many of them do? Zero. Go Ducks. Zero. You see this theme here? Go Ducks. I did this one time, and they said, how many national championships do they have? 
Go Ducks. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Dozens of volunteers simply being willing to show up to serve the body. If you know some of them, like, like for a moment, could, could we just give them a round of applause for the willingness that they have to serve? If you're, if you're watching online, if you're watching online, like, t if you know someone that's part of that team, tag them, tell them thank you, um, uh, write a post and tell them thank you, because there are, there are tons of volunteers who serve every single week, and you see me and Aaron and a couple band members up here, but there are more than a dozen people who stand behind the scenes so that this thing can happen, using the gifts that God's given them to serve because we are spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers. The church does not exist for us. We are the church and we exist for the world. Here, here's number two. If you're a note taker, here's number two. You are called to serve as his church. You are called, one, to serve in his church, but you are also called to serve as his church. Matthew 5, 14 says this, okay? Matthew 5, 14 says, you, this is a collective you, this is all of us, this isn't you and you and you and you and you and you, this is all of us. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. Here's the point right here. Here you go. And glorify your Father in heaven. I've often asked, right? Once you come to be a follower of Jesus, why does God not just like hoover you up into, like hoover vacuum you up into heaven, right? Here's the long and short. I'll, I'll save you the, the illustration. Here's the long and short. Because you are not here for you. You are not here for you. God has not left you on this earth so that you, like why would he ask you to endure brokenness and pain and heartache in this world? Because you're not here for you. You're here so that the world would see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Since the beginning of lockdown in March, we've had a group of over a dozen volunteers serving in a partnership with a group we love to work with called Every Child. They serve uh, families who are fostering and children who are in the foster care system. And, and the way this anchor point works is that when a lot of stuff was shut down, it became really difficult for foster parents to ask, access resources. And so we became that anchor point. We became that location where they could, re where they could get resources. And so a, a family would reach out to every child and they say, hey, you know, we're having a hard time. Maybe someone's hours got cut. You know, maybe someone even lost a job. We're fostering this child. And we really could use some diapers or some wipes or a crib or a bed or whatever it was. And every child would contact us. And then they would come here to offer our church, and these people would show up at all times of the day to, to serve and to love. Why? Because we are spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers. We are the church, and we exist for the world. Recently, a person in our church was telling me this awesome experience they had. They were in, a, they were in this big meeting at work, and it was, it was pre-COVID. It was this big meeting, and um, someone, said to, someone said, was talking about an issue that was going on in our community and, and someone who's having a hard time with some things, and, uh, and someone who doesn't go to our church, just take a moment and breathe this in. Someone who doesn't go to our church said this, hey, uh, someone should call MCC. I bet they'll help. Like the bat signal, like we have our own bat signal. There's trouble, send MCC, right? 
Why? Because they saw our good deeds as a light shining on a hill in darkness. As a light shining on a hill in darkness. You see, for me, for many of you, for us as a church, after all that God has done, we simply cannot just be consumers any longer. I believe that a church fully unleashed to be spiritual contributors could shake the foundations of this world. I believe that if we were to unleash ourselves from a, 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 a lens of me-focused world and we could lean into what God is calling us to do, to be world changers, to be a light on a hill, to bring goodness, to serve in whatever ways that he's gifted us for the betterment of ourselves and so that our good deeds would shine in the darkness into a broken world, I believe that darkness would shudder. That an unbelieving world would not be able to turn its eyes away from the goodness and the beauty of our God. That it would not be by political power or business prowess or the beauty of buildings, but because a light on a hill, a light of goodness shining in darkness, a light of selflessness, declaring the goodness and the glories of our gracious Heavenly Father in a world consumed with me, a world of brokenness, that our community would stand in shock at a people unleashed to accomplish the mission of God in our world. That there would be some that would say something like, I'm not sure I believe anything that they believe, but there's something different about them. There have been times in history where the world has stood shocked because of people unleashed because of people unbound from their selfish ambitions. I believe a church unshackled from selfish consumption could alter our world for eternity. This morning, maybe you find yourself apathetic, lethargic. Maybe you look a lot more like the guy in Wally spiritually than anybody else constantly consuming, and maybe you've sought out to find fulfillment in consuming praises of men, consuming stuff, consuming accomplishments, and you find yourself tired and weary. Maybe you've come to the place that the writer in the scriptures did where he says it's all worthless, it's all pointless, it's all meaningless. You see, one of the great gifts of the gospel, the invitation of Jesus, is not just to save you from your sins, not just to save you from something, but to save you into something. He's inviting you to a life that has impact and meaning and purpose where you pour out yourself, where you take seriously the words of Jesus in Mark 8, 34, where you deny yourself and follow him so that the world can be changed forever. Don't let today pass. Don't let today pass without making a decision, maybe for the first time or again, to be a spiritual contributor to follow Jesus, that he is worthy of everything that we are. May we be a church that shakes the foundation of the world, that drives back the gates of hell and darkness, that overcomes evil with good, that sees dead things come to life. For we are spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers. The church does not exist for us. Say it with me. We are the church and we exist for the world. May it be so.